0: Welcome to Setting the Skein. I'm Doug.
1: I'm Tristan. I'm Elijah.
0: And we are back once again uh, with week two of Mystery March or Mystery mm. Month, whatever the heck it is. Mm, uh, and, and since it's a mystery, you know we got to bring in our boy,
2: Mysterious Michael. Yes. It's Mystery Mike, back for round two. Let's do Mysterious this. Mysterious Mystery Mike. All right. All
0: uh, right. I think, you know, part of part of the beauty of the way that we record these episodes is that we don't we keep saying that we're going to figure out how we're going to brand this thing, and then we don't know what it is by the second week. But by the third week, we're going to know.
3: Well, I, I still think there's a small chance that this could just become the normal format, and then we don't have to name it anything.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Mysterious Mike's Mystery Movie Month. The mystery, yeah, mystery Mike's <laughs> Movie Misteratorium or something. Yeah. Should yeah. we...
3: Uh, Should we actually explain this for listeners who haven't listened to last week's episode?
0: Absolutely. We can. Uh, Absolutely. We can. Uh, Elijah would, would you like to do the breakdown for us?
3: I would. And you asked me that when I was in the middle of taking a big chomp out of my pizza.
0: Oh, okay. Well, that's fine. I I'll explain for us. Um, (laughs) So, so friends on mystery, Mike's movie month montage. Um, All five of the all five of us here at uh, Viter Media uh, saying the scheme, Ben, Tristan, Elijah, Mike, myself, we all pitch a random movie to our good friend, Mystery Mike, um, who has compiled a schedule for five weeks of entertainment. None of us know what the movies are. We only are going to find out what movie we're covering once Mike reveals that movie to us and uh, we'll give you our immediate thoughts. We'll go watch the movie and we'll come back and we'll give a proper review. Uh, but uh, but with that, with that, Mike, why don't you uh, why don't you tell us what we're doing this week?
2: That's a great question. And I like I like the, the mystery Mike movie marathon. We'll, we'll have to we'll workshop it. We'll workshop it. But um, this week's movie is a film. <laughs> that I will say is something that I think has been sorely missing in the canon of setting the scheme. Not only setting the scheme, but some jerks. This week's film is my film. Ah, mm. ah. ah I knew it. This, this week's film is something I've been meaning to make everyone watch, but nobody wants to watch. But I'm making you do it anyway. Today we are watching E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Oh, wow. Okay, <laughs> okay. okay. All right. <laughs> I, I took my chance. I had my chance. I took it. I'm making you watch it. now. <laughs> OK. OK. Well,
1: I don't think any of us were against watching it.
2: Yeah, but it's one of those shows for a little bit of background for, for people listening um, way back in the Some Jerks days. Um, and even before then, Tristan can attest, this has been a film I've been like, everyone sleeps on this movie. People don't realize how great of a film this is. And everyone goes, I believe you, Mike. And then nobody watches the movie. And you know what that that ends now. I have decided to take advantage of this moment and take advantage of my captive audience and at the bare minimum force 3 3 guys here to to watch this film. So you
1: you know what the next generation's ET is? It's the Iron Giant. And I love the Iron Giant.
0: I think that's fair. I say um, that having never seen ET, but you've never uh, seen it. I've never seen it which is really funny because it's one of my mom's favorite movies like it's in her
1: top three
3: i've seen it and i feel like this is a movie everybody knows and people do talk about
1: i have seen it but i don't really remember it super well because i saw it when i was like eight i don't know i was a kid
2: yeah so i'm excited i didn't know doug i didn't know that you hadn't seen it i'm excited for everyone who experienced it in their childhood to to get the chance to revisit it and it, it's serendipitous that ben unfortunately can't join us today because uh, the copy i have doesn't have subtitles so <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> very nice
0: all right well uh well with that um i think we're gonna go watch a movie and we'll be back in just a few okay see you in a bit bye bye friends Well, we're back, um, and we watched a movie.
2: We I'm, saw a film,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, tell you what, while we're talking about the movie that we saw tonight, uh, I'll actually pull up some information on, on the movie and I'll let you know some, some of the little tidbits about this movie. Everybody, everybody, cool with that, yeah. Um, So tonight, in case you missed what we said about 38 seconds ago, um, we watched E.T. The Extraterrestrial was released in 1982, directed by some guy named Steven Spielberg. Um, Stars Henry Thomas, Drew Barrymore, Robert McNaughton, D. Wallace, Bill. bunch of other random people who went on to like have pretty good careers but like those are our core four um and yeah this movie released in 1982 ratings wise has a 7.9 out of 10 on mdba a five out of five on common sense media and 83% on the Google. And folks, this may just be our highest rated movie from Rotten Tomatoes because this movie has a 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. This movie won, not one, not two, not three, not five, but four Oscars. (laughs) Uh, The year that came out won Oscars for best sound, best effects or visual effects Best Effects and Sound Editing and Best Music with the Original Score and was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Writing, Best Cinematography and Best Film Editing. And lastly, Money Wise, this movie, this is the coolest thing about this movie that I've found so far. This movie was made on a budget of $10.5 million and grossed $792 million. No. i think it was a success
2: it was the highest grossing movie of all time i believe until jurassic park don't another
0: me. steven spielberg movie
2: yeah he he absolutely dominated for years and if you adjust for inflation this is still i think top 10 or top five it's in
0: there it's in there i've looked because yeah. i i looked at the top 10 a while back
1: um yeah i i would like to say something yes um this isn't the first movie that we've done that has got a 99. There's a more recent film that got a 99 on Rotten Tomatoes that we did. Can anyone guess what that movie is?
0: It's not the Florida project,
1: is it? No. It's um, one I like. Was oh, it on setting there really was on blood. setting the scheme we did it? Yeah, it's on, yeah, it was um it was Ladybird.
0: Oh Lady Bird. Oh yeah. Yeah. I wasn't on that episode. Do like the movie though. Big fan of the movie. Yep. Um, also hold up because this is not on our list but i want to just take a minute to talk about steven freaking spielberg uh the man who not only conquered the 80s but like the man who honestly if he tries knocks every movie out of the park
2: steven spielberg is 75 years old And I'm going to plug this movie because it kind of bombed at the box office. He recently did the musical adaptation of West Side Story. It is phenomenal. I've taken multiple people to see it. Everyone goes in saying, why did they make this? And everyone leaves saying that was incredible. It is an amazing movie. Spielberg at 75 can destroy almost any living director. He is is in a league of his own. (laughs) This guy did Jaws, E.T., Schindler's List, Indiana Jones, Jurassic Park, Saving Private Ryan, the list goes on and on and on. Honestly, he is probably my favorite director ever. So,
0: And not only is he a prolific filmmaker uh, as a director, but also his production company, Amblin Entertainment, uh, largely, I think, created because of the success of this movie, um, uh, also gave us such classics as back to the future um back to the future okay i'll be real with you back to the future is probably like <laughs> the only like really big one the amblin entertainment uh,
2: made. uh super eight uh, super worked, eight
0: they, super eight
2: they worked a little bit on transformers they worked a little bit on the bfg um anything spielberg related yeah. But they were a very successful thing. I believe Steven Spielberg is the most you can quote. You can check me on this. I believe he is the most financially successful director of all time, and the film E.T. is actually the big break of Kathleen Kennedy, who is famous for currently being the president of Lucasfilm. This was her big break, and she produced this film.
0: Oh, also Amblin Entertainment, a movie that Mike and I were talking about before we started recording, um, gave us Gremlins, one of the greatest Christmas movies of all time. Um. Yeah. Shout out to Steven Spielberg, dude. You're awesome. What a guy, Steven. Steve, if I if I can call you Steve, I know you listen to the podcast. Look, just just thank you so much for for your work and what you do. Uh, but for right now, fellas, what are our experiences with this movie? I already said I've never seen this movie before. And if I did see it, it was a very long time ago. But this is one my mother, Heidi Gooden. Hi, mom. I know that you aren't listening to this episode, but maybe you are. Um, it's one of her like top favorite movies of all time. Arguably, her like second favorite movie because her first favorite movie is Star Wars Episode Six. Uh, I don't know why, but it is. I do know why. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. So this is the first time I ever watched this movie, fellas. Why don't you uh, tell us about? uh your experiences with this movie
1: i actually
3: didn't see this movie until i was like 18 so i did not grow up with it i grew up aware of it but i didn't watch it until i was mostly grown <laughs>
1: yeah i um i i don't honestly i have no idea when i saw this movie i don't remember really any of it except for i remember the part where they're in the tube going from the house to the car. Like, that's all I remembered from this movie um, for some reason. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I, I know growing up with Mike, he loves this movie and would talk about it. And I was like, cool. I'm glad you like it. I, I didn't think that much of it. But then again, I hadn't seen it in a long time so now I've actually sat down to watch it
2: the year was 2002. I am with my mother. I am in a red Jeep driving across Interstate I-75 in McDonough, Georgia on Jonesboro Road heading to the Fayetteville Dollar Theater and my mom tells me we're going to see the 20th anniversary re-release of E.T. the Extraterrestrial. I am six years old. I see the movie, It scares the pants off me because of the alien. I spent 10 years scared of it. I rewatched the movie at 16 and I sob incredibly hard. And ever since then, (laughs) it has been one of my favorite films that has ever been made. I have a very, that is the cliff notes. I have a very long, very complex history with, with ET. I, I think the score is incredible. i the movie represents so many different things in my life that I'm sure I'll we'll get into later, but I have extensive experience with this. I've probably seen ET 50 to a hundred times. somewhere in that range.
1: Now, 10 years after that, you're on the podcast. Yeah. We talk about it.
2: Here we are 20 years after that moment at 26 years old. This is the 40th year since ET has come out and man, what a, what a legacy it leaves.
0: Um, Mike, I also want to uh, just say I did fact check it. And though he is not the richest director uh, working today, um, Steven Spielberg is, in fact, the most financially successful director uh, currently with his films grossing uh, somewhere north of 10.5 billion dollars. And Anthony and Joe Russo follow behind him at 6.8 billion dollars.
2: Almost half. Look at that.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, Steven Spielberg also has three whole decades on them. So take that for what you will. Um, but yeah, well, you know, we we talked about our boy Stevie Spielberg. Uh, now let's talk about Johnny Williams. Uh, John Williams, another man in the film industry who he doesn't even have to try. He doesn't even have to try. This man is responsible for the greatest film scores of all time. And
2: you should bow in the fact that we are amongst a living legend as of the recording of this he's I think he's 90 or 91 and he's I, still making movie scores. It is incredible. Absolutely incredible. John 90.
0: John Williams is is one of those guys who You know, I love the fact that you can go into a movie and you don't even have to know that John Williams did the score for it. You don't even have to know because the moment his name shows up in the credits, uh, either the opening credits or the closing credits, it makes your enjoyment of the movie that much better because you know that you know that what you just listened to uh, behind, behind all of the great dialogue and set pieces and scenery that you just watched, you got to hear some of the most gorgeous music you will ever hear accompany a film. And he did again here. Like, good Lord, the man knocks it out of the park once again.
2: The, the music in this film, I, I always point to this when I, um, so I do a little bit of writing from <laughs> film school and all those days. And <laughs> something I genuinely point to, that, that's an old reference for you, some jerks, folks. I always point to the opening 10 minutes of this film because there's not a single line of dialogue. You don't need dialogue. Silently, you understand everything you need to know about the plot of this movie where it's going, the characters, the tone, the setting. You get all of it with nothing but visuals and score. It is absolutely brilliant. You don't need anything else. And I, I always admired this film for what, what it does with that. And, and a fun fact for the, for the listeners, the last 15 minutes of this film are edited to the score itself. John Williams was, was writing the music. He was trying to time it with the ending of the film. And at a certain point, Steven Spielberg came in turned off the film itself that john williams was conducting to and said conduct this like a symphony so he did and he edited the movie to that and i think the ending of this movie um i could tell you from from our viewing party it is such an impactful incredible ending and it also does not need dialogue it is just 10 minutes of just one or two word responses and just absolute silence it is one of the best scores i think he's ever done I don't know. I genuinely don't know if I like this more or less than Star Wars. They are very, very close. This is one of the best scores John Williams has ever done.
3: I'm glad I know this about the last 20 minutes being edited around the score. That's a cool, fun fact. And I'd be interested to know if other movies kind of took a similar approach with like, let's just let the music be exactly what it needs to be. And if we need to edit a few seconds in or out of a scene in order to make it fit, we'll make it work. That's cool.
0: Edgar Wright, I think is a pretty decent example of somebody who tries to do that. Um, Granted, he does not necessarily do it with score. He does it with just regular songs, but I think he's someone who really tries to, to make the editing of his movies match the beats of his music um but yeah uh john williams port one out for john williams still alive <laughs> but you know pour one out for him why not
2: pour, pour one out now pouring out next year pouring out whenever he passes and keep pouring one out because i, I, I promise you that is the thing we'll be never fit- drink
1: again yeah. <laughs>
2: well we will be 50 and say man we were alive and we got fresh john williams scores for a long time when we were alive that is an incredible thing yeah
0: oh man well you know this movie it's when you write on paper It's so simple. And it's a movie that when you think about how this is a movie that a lot of people didn't think was going to do well. They did not think it was going to be a success. They thought it was going to bomb flop, whatever you want to put in that just verb uh, placement right there. Um, Because it's so simple, you know, a boy finds an alien and tries to protect him and send him home. That's it. That's the whole plot of the movie in a nutshell. But Steven Spielberg and the writer of this movie, who give me like two seconds, I'll find out what what her I believe name
2: is. Uh, Melissa Matheson. You yeah,
0: can. I think you're right. I think it's Melissa Matheson. Um, what they managed to do so well is that they give this movie so much depth and so much, you know, meat to the story um and and mike i know that you wanted to talk about some of the themes that this film touches on because there's honestly an encyclopedia worth of of themes and subjects that this movie talks about also shout out to any of our listeners who know in encycl- who knows what an encyclopedia is i feel like that list is getting shorter each day
2: <laughs> yeah I, I wow that makes me feel old.
1: um know what a yeah. wikipedia is
2: the <laughs> The, the themes of this movie uh, mostly revolve around childhood, innocence and divorce and the loss of childhood and the loss of innocence. The entire film is kind of predicated around that. And what I like about this movie, and we're going to get into this a little bit later, is there's this, I, there's this kind of like earnest, magical feeling that is imprinted upon everyday lives and, every, and everyday themes the movie is extremely modern and I think that's something that we kind of forget when we go back and we watch this film because this movie is 40 years old this film talks about Star Wars Star Wars was barely five years old when this movie comes out this movie is extremely focused on the there and the now so when you're watching this movie this is like a movie coming out in 2022 about 2022 it was always supposed to be a present day film and it instills that sort of magic within it. So you have like all these different themes where um, I'm probably gonna hop around a little bit because again, I have, I have like 20 years of, of thoughts on this film, but the you kind of tie into this theme of childhood growing up in the Californian suburbia. Steven Spielberg, for reference, grew up in Arizona and his parents divorced when he was very young. He talks about this as being a very big influence on his films. And you can see that a lot in here. You have a very realistic depiction of what it's like to grow up in the aftermath of divorce but through the eyes of a child and you have a mother kind of struggling to keep the family together she's got so many things going on she's just trying to provide for the family but but the children don't fully understand why the mom's not always there and there's just this kind of back and forth with it where like the absence of a father figure in this movie is very very clear without ever being the plot of the film. The, the plot of the film is a young boy's trying to get an alien home, but you have all of the subtext kind of going on in the background. And there's this scene um, towards the end of the film when Michael, the older, um, the older character uh, of the three kids that we have, uh, is surrounded by all of these government agencies, is surrounded by all of this like foreign interference, so to speak, with, with everything going on with them. And this is, the, this is the teenager. This is the 14-year-old. And he crawls into the, into the closet. And he just hides amongst the toys. And it's just this incredibly powerful symbol of losing that innocence as you get older. Of losing that sense of childhood. So I, I think the film has a whole lot to say about childhood, about divorce, And it, it's just... An, um, I'll, I'll stop here. I'm sure I have more. But th- there's just so much. <laughs> going on in the subtext of this film to say this film is just about boy gets alien home works with alien is is so incredibly underselling the incredible heart that is within the film so
1: excuse me a lot of movies that have come out recently in the past 20 years i guess do this thing where what you just described mike where they're like X thing just came out. Let's talk about it or let's mention it. And I've seen some pretty cringy examples of that in movies. And it's like, oh, so you're trying trying to be relevant by saying that. Okay. And you don't feel like this movie does that, Mike?
2: I don't. I, I think this film's really like it's really careful about the different things that it'll show. And a lot of it is also a bit of a love letter. You have references to Yoda. And when you see Yoda on screen, John Williams, who remind, reminding the audience, wrote the themes for Star Wars and for Yoda, will play a few notes of the Yoda theme kind of within there. I think a lot of what makes this film really smart when it comes to these references is it's, A, the entire point, and we're getting into this a little bit later with, uh, with magical realism, is to show the modern day and instill a little bit of magic within it. So you need that modern reference because the entire point is it's a completely contemporary film. And on the other hand, you are just trying to trying to put these in to just remind people that this is present day. I don't think this film goes over the top with it. It's not trying to be like, for lack of a better word, stranger <laughs> than like, remember in the 80s, we did all of these things. Remember, remember, this film is just showing these things because they're part of everyday life. And it's not trying to be over the top with it we don't zoom into a star wars character and stop the film to focus on it
0: i think also that there's something to be said about the earnestness that is clearly behind this movie because i think that one of the biggest traps that modern films fall into you can take stranger things for one is i feel like uh in the midst of sort of referencing of referencing pop culture referencing days gone by what what have you Um, there's also just a sort of pervading theme amongst media nowadays of just sarcastic mean-spiritedness. I mean, that's not saying that I don't enjoy a good sarcastic movie or a mean-spirited movie. I think that sometimes those are really needed and I think sometimes they're really great. But I think that if you were to see et made today and you had the exact same script with the exact same characters situation plot i feel like it would come across or it would be made very mean spiritedly i think i think that one of the biggest benefits of this movie is that mike elliot and gertie are three siblings who genuinely love and care for each other there's no there's a little bit of snarkiness, snarkiness at the beginning, um, and little moments throughout. But you can tell clearly that, that they care for each other, and it doesn't just stay within the familial unit; it goes outwardly. You can see that uh, Mike's friends, even though they pick on Elliot, when the chips are down, they come to his ha- they come to his aid at the drop of a hat. And I think that that is not something that you would see in a modern retelling of the same story i think it would be much for lack of a better word meaner and i feel like if that were the case you would lose a lot of the heart that makes this movie so endearing
2: i'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because honestly at the top of my notes i, I could show you all it's a visual medium i can't show the audience i have Ernest. Ernest is the very first word on my notes because that's what this film is it's so unashamedly sincere and honest and you could say schmaltzy if you want but this movie wears its heart on its sleeve and it's not trying to be anything other than completely honest about its intentions and it's just showing like you said like this sibling relationship that yeah they're siblings they fight they kind of make jokes about it but they love each other and this family loves each other and they're trying to make it work even though they've clearly gone through hell a little bit when it comes to this divorce that's happened they're fighting for each other and they care about each other. And I think this film is something I love about this film is it's so gosh darn honest and just kind. And I think it's something that you see completely lacking. And like you said, in modern retellings where we have to undercut everything. We can't be sincere. We can't like really get into something like, like you have moments in here that can kind of feel uncomfortable for an audience. You have towards the end when. When Elliot's talking to E.T., he just honestly, tearfully declares that he loves him. And I know if we had a modern movie, they would put some weird slide whistle in there. We'd have to undercut it. Too sincere. Can't be too honest now. We got to cut back on that. We got to have jokes. And that's one of the things I love about this film is it's just so incredibly, unapologetically sincere.
1: That's a really good point, Mike.
3: Yeah, I feel that. You know, it occurred to me watching this, Uh, more recent movie, a movie from the 2000s that I really like that probably wouldn't have existed without the precedent of E.T. And maybe this seems obvious to you, but it just occurred to me during the movie because it's the second time I've watched this. Uh, Lilo and Stitch, love that movie. And it's got a lot of the same threads, not just because there's an alien in it, but because of the theme of the broken family kind of in the background. And with this foreign thing coming to kind of help unite the family in a weird way um lilo and stitch does some of the s- s- some pretty similar things to uh et and i don't know maybe lilo and stitch has more snark in it as a more well recent yeah. movie but it's it, i think that's also a movie that has a lot of heart in it just like et did
0: well you know what's crazy is that actually my mom and i were talking about this uh earlier today this is just a real serendipitous moment moment folks um because we were talking about the fact that, you know, you aren't going to have a lot of kids who know what, what older movies are. And I mean, that's just a fact of life. You know, kids are going to know what current movies are. And that's fine. That's there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But it becomes a problem when movies like Lilo and Stitch or... E.T. won't have this problem but something like E.T. sort of falls by the wayside because it's not current it's not written in the same style and I think you're right Elijah you know Lilo and Stitch does have little bits of snark but there's also that same earnestness and that same heart that's behind Lilo and Stitch and I feel like because going off of what Mike said you know in current film, we have to undercut everything. We have to every every heartfelt moment, every sincere moment is met with a nod and a wink to the audience. It's almost like we're telling kids, you know, while you're young, we don't want to get too sincere. We don't want to get too heartfelt. Once you get older, you can find movies like that. You can find your your uh, you can find your There Will Be Bloods. You can find your florida projects you can find those movies that are heartfelt and sincere but later in life for right now we're going to give you this stuff that is fast talking snarky and sarcastic and yes tristan
1: yeah i I just that there's so many shows particularly i I mean you go on netflix look at any new show rarely will you find one where there's people just being sincere about something emotional um that's i mean that's what i when it comes to movies that i really enjoy it's those it's the human connection or i guess alien human connection in this case um but still human like it's the feelings that's there and so many so many pieces of media just just it's annoying (laughs) frankly i'm done with it honestly like it it makes me not want to watch new shows. It makes me cautious about new entertainment. Like when people say something's popular, I'm like, are you gonna reel me in and just sucker punch me with some like, oh, huh, here's here's C character gonna make a joke real quick while the couple kiss, you know? It's like, can't they just kiss? Can't people just look at each other in the eyes, <clears throat> you know, and tell them that they love each other? Can't can't someone just say, like, you're my brother, I, I love you, you know? Like <clears throat> what what's happened
2: yeah there's there's this sense of truly cynical adversion to honesty when it comes to new films i i i hate to pick on them because i'm not saying they're bad films but i think the avengers movies are honestly one of the worst offenders of this yes movie. you have um something that's always bothered me brief 30 second uh, half spoilers on avengers endgame if you haven't seen it yet There's um, the Thor character who is just going through absolute hell, suffering through losing his entire family, his entire world because he blames himself because he tried to kill Thanos and he he didn't do it. And at one point in in Endgame, Avengers Endgame, he's like, do you know it's coursing through my veins right now? And they have to go cheese whiz because he gained weight. And that's funny. (laughs) Ha ha, Thor gained weight. It's like the man's going through something terrible. And this is the the culmination of all of your movies give him a moment he's been through something terrible let him be sincere about it yeah and this that's that's the thing that i love so much unapologetically i love about this movie is its sense of honesty and its sense of wonder wonder comes up a lot for me when i think about et because you have a film that is not scared to take something and elevate it i have um we have these notes that we kind of go through when we come to these films magical realism is on there. And I don't have it on there because this movie counts as magical realism, but because this movie kind of posits itself as that. You have this incredible focus on the 1980s Canadian, uh, sorry, Californian suburbia. And you have all these rows of houses and you have a childhood that a lot of people can relate to. It's not super interesting. At the time you had to ride bikes to run around. It wasn't something that Nowadays we, we, we posit as nostalgic and kind of interesting, but at the time it was just a manner of being a kid. You need to bike three miles to see your friends. And this film instills so much wonder into that. You have these incredible scenes of, of childhood and wonder combined with like the most iconic imagery of the entire film. When you have E.T. and Elliot on a bike soaring across the moon, you have this beautiful marriage between this concept of childhood and the wonder that could come with it it's like this beautiful sense of like what if in a way and it's it's just it's a rare thing and i don't know i think it was a little rare when this movie came out but especially now it is incredibly rare to see a movie that approaches itself with this much sincerity and again i i know that this
0: sounds like this group of guys in their mid-20s are just bashing on Current films, but but that's not the case. I mean, I think that current media has its place. You know, uh a popular TV show that's out right now is called The Owl House. And I've watched it, and you know, it's written in that very quick campy, uh sarcastic style. But at the same time, you know, it does great things for children's media as a whole. You know, it's the first uh, ultimately or ultimately openly uh, LGBTQ relationship uh, in an animated show on Disney Channel, which is great. Like, by all means, have that on screen. But it would mean so much more if there was maybe not so much sarcasm and just cut undercutting everything with with jokes. Yeah. or or something like Gravity Falls. Again, great show that uh, has great writing and fast, sarcastic characters, but there but there are moments where you're just like, I really wish you would maybe pull back just a minute. Just just pull back. We can let we can let this sit for a second. And again, those are two great shows. I just feel like this earnestness is kind of missing in
1: current media.
0: Yes, Tristan.
1: Well, there are good movies that, that are current yeah, and good shows that actually let people feel emotion. We've done them on this podcast. Um, Greta Gerwig films, like all of her movies are like that. Like she just lets people be, you know, but those aren't kids movies really. Um, how many kids, of, kids pieces of kids media can you think of that actually do that? You know, there's not a ton. There's a few like gravity falls has, has his moments or like, um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of like mini series, like over the garden wall, things like that. But even then it's a little campy, you know, like w- what's just real. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. How many, how many, let me ask you this. How many popular films are unashamed about showing a little boy crying. That he loves his friend. That's not normal. Even now, it's not normal. 40 years ago, it wasn't normal. Now, it's not normal. This film is so incredibly honest about what it means to love. And especially, I'm not trying to take it into a, into a gender-based dynamic, but you just don't see that. You don't see an eight-year-old boy talk about loving his friends in those terms, not minced, not, not edited, no jokes. Just, he loves his friend. And he says it and he cries for his friend when he loses his friend. I, I really think that is such an important thing to see when it comes to, to this media. And, and, and putting all that aside, it's just a, it's a damn good movie for lack of a better word. It's well, it's well put together. It's well acted. There are these universal themes. Un- unfortunately, divorce is a very common experience with a lot of kids, half of kids in America. And you have a very honest, realistic depiction of that. I know when we were in our chat, when we were watching this film, uh, I think Doug said that this was one of the most honest depictions of, of family dynamics. And it really is. They, they spent a lot of time making sure that that was something that was completely realistic within the scope of the film.
3: I The thing that contributed to that realism was the talent of the very young Drew Barrymore. She
0: is so good in this.
3: I okay, I'll be real with you. I knew
0: that Drew Barrymore had a very successful career as a child. I've wanted to see this, I've wanted to see Firestar for a very long time now, and I just never had. But good lord, she is so good in this. And what's funny is that before this movie, my favorite Drew Carey, Drew, Car- Drew Barrymore performance is her and Wedding Singer, um, where she stars opposite adam sandler and that still is a great movie but i watched this i'm just like good
2: lord this is what you were bringing as a child what on earth yeah the kids kill it man especially henry thomas who went on i i love the story of henry thomas henry thomas played elliot the main main character in this film unapologetically and henry thomas went off he became a dentist he just chilled Like he did child acting, he went, I'm gonna stop doing it. And then he was like 30 or 40 and said, I'm going back into it. And he's just back at acting and he does like horror films and he does a couple of other things on the side just for fun. When we were watching the film, I think uh, uh, Doug or Tristan, one one of them said that getting a lot of Jack Nicholson vibes, I think it was Tristan. Yeah. That's funny because if you go watch Doctor Sleep, the person playing Jack Torrance, which was Jack Nicholson's character in The Shining, is Henry Thomas. But um i is an incredible actor so i true yeah.
3: incredible. uh all the kids were good henry thomas was, was really good too i liked him and i looked him up before we started recording and uh because i still haven't seen dr sleep or whatever but uh i recognized his face and i was like what do i know him from I started looking through it he's in the mentalist which is one of my favorite shows He's not like one of the main characters, but he is a recurring character on that show. And I didn't realize that's the kid from E.T. the whole time.
2: He's he's incredible. There's a scene that gets me every time. There's a lot of moments in this movie that I find emotionally potent. And and one of them is just when when E.T. dies towards the end of the film, he's ripping all of this stuff that got put on him and he's just screaming. He came to me over and over and over again. Because he let down, he feels like he let down his friend. He feels like he he abandoned his friend, even though he had this incredible emotional bond. Um, this, this bond that E.T. kind of put on him. And, and that's the thing is there's so much, um, I, I don't know if I want to call it subtext, but there's so much to this film. There's the fact that E.T. imprints upon Elliot right when he shows up, where their experiences are felt together. They are felt at the same time. And E.T. at the end, as he's dying, releasing Elliot from that bond in order for Elliot to survive when they both express their love for each other. There's so much going on here that I feel like this film, and and this is why I wanted to show you guys this film, because this film is remembered for Bikes in Front of Moons and Kid Gets Alien. But there's there's so much more you can dig into with the subtext, and there's so much more you can see, like these little moments, like this eight-year-old boy just just screaming that he came to me, he was mine. It's just heart-wrenching, man. Yeah. So much.
3: It was good. It was an emotional ride. I liked it. I
1: have a question for you guys. Yes. If Doug, you were not going to say something.
0: I I was just going to say, um, absolutely the kids day phenomenal, phenomenal job. Um, I do just want to mention that D Wallace knocks it out the park as the lead adult in the movie. Um, you know d wallace i know her from playing the mom in cujo the year after this uh in which again she's phenomenal but i mean i feel like i feel like for her being the only real adult in the movie she carries it would be so easy for her to be a nothing character it would be so easy for her just come on be like do your homework, whatever But instead, she imbues so much, honestly, so much pain and struggle into her character throughout this performance, Um, and I just feel like we should give her a little shout out.
2: Yeah, she she was cast because um, there's something, if you'll notice, I'll get into this a little later, Uh, we're going to talk about cinematography. Uh, the film is so focused on kids you don't see adults with the exception of the mother until about almost the very end of the film and Steven Spielberg cast Dee Wallace because he felt like she was a kid at heart and she kind of embodied that innocence. and like you said like she's she's wearing it on her sleeve and she's struggling through this divorce but she's trying to make it work she does an incredible job on this film
0: yeah okay Tristan
2: yes
1: so (laughs) simple question i don't know how far you guys want to go with this but um it's a what if scenario what if instead of elliot finding et the guy with the keys found et and then we had our own little adventure of the guy with the keys instead of elliot okay i happen- actually i actually thought about this while watching
0: the movie because this is my headcanon. okay so there was this famous actor. His name's Fred Gwynn. He played Herman Munster on The Munsters. And if you ever saw the movie uh, Pet Cemetery, oh, um, uh, he where you going? He plays uh, the uh, the old farmer man in Pet Cemetery. Um, he's got a very thick, thick, deep bass voice, and I love it. It's like melted caramel um, on your ears. Uh, but in my head canon, Fred Gwynn uh, is uh, is the guy with the keys. And if he had found E.T., he would have been like, well, all right, son. I guess we're going to go home now and uh, I'll make you some flapjacks with molasses.
1: (laughs) But the guy with the keys was the guy at the end. Yeah. You just didn't see him until like the end.
0: See, I feel. See, I get that. Totally understand it. However, in my head, in my head, canon,
2: it was Fred Gwynn. I I, I will say um, with keys and fun fact that you call him keys in the credits of this film he's called keys that is what the character is known as
1: oh yeah
2: The um because that's that's kind of his motif that's what we see that's his
1: only thing i can mean, you could call him loves alien man
2: that's that's the thing is like the uh the actor's name is peter coyote and he gets so much out of this role with like five or six lines you get the sense that this guy's like he grew up as a kid. He just wanted to meet some aliens, man. All he did is he had that wonder. He had that childlike Elliot wonder at the world, but then he got older and he became an adult. He was trying to find these aliens and he tried to pursue this sort of thing. And like, he knew intrinsically, like, yeah, I'm a part of the government. We're going to find this alien. We're probably going to cut it up and examine it and all this stuff. But he didn't want that. He wanted, um, he wanted E.T. to live, he, he asked Ellie he's like, I want this alien to live. And at the very end, he could have called his dudes and been like, stop this. Let's grab this alien. Let's yeet this boy and let's go test on him. But he doesn't. He goes with D Wallace and he goes to just watch what happens because at the end he has all that heart. So I will say to answer your question, if Keys found him first, that would almost be a tragedy because he would kind of feel the need to to report it to his to his authorities, but at his heart, at his soul, he's Elliot. He's that but, kid. He has that wonder. He wants to protect this thing.
0: But if he was Fred Gwynn, he would be eating flapjacks
1: in Maine. Just saying. Just saying.
2: Can't argue with that.
1: I don't know. I think we would have gotten a whole different story, but ultimately, it, it would have come out to Keyes... Being like, you know what? Bump the government. I believe in E.T. E.T., I believe in you. And then he kisses him on the forehead. And he jumps into his (laughs) his plant ship and goes home.
2: I'd want that to be the case. But I don't think (coughs) Keyes thinks he would have. Which is why Keyes says, I'm glad he found you. And he meant it. I don't know if I would have kissed E.T. on the forehead like you just said. I might have turned him in. I'm an adult. I'm old and crotchety and boring. He's I'm not Fred he
0: Gwen. You.
2: Yeah, he's like, but like, no, but like dead serious. Like, like that's that's what he means. And that's why this movie is freaking beautiful, is because in like five or six lines you get all of this context. He's like, I mean it. I'm glad you found you. Because I don't know what I would have done, but I know what you would have done. And there's just like they didn't have to do that. This could have been a hokey kids movie but instead it has more heart and soul than almost any other film that was ever made in its time period. It really could have just been Mac and me, which is just copied of this without the heart. Um, man. Anyway, side note, but goodness.
0: It's okay. Personally, I a running uh, sort of wager to see how long it took us to mention Mac and me. <laughs> it was coming.
1: Mac and me.
3: Do you also have a timer waiting for us to mention Mork and Mindy? Because that's where I was going to take this conversation.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, but Mork and Mindy was
1: before this. Do
0: oh, a timer
1: yeah, waiting for me to mention time. Little Women? Because
2: <laughs> Yeah, I feel, like, I feel like in life there needs to be a timer on Tristan, which is how long can you talk to Tristan before Little Women gets mentioned? Or well, there Gretchen. will be blood.
1: Don't <laughs> talk about there will be blood that much.
0: Or anyway. Interstellar or 500
2: Days of Summer. <laughs>
1: Or the Florida uh, project. At, uh,
2: just just to pivot a little slightly to get to get through these these notes that we have here on the side a uh, fun fact i don't know if you guys noticed this tell me if you did or not did you notice that 95 percent of this film was shot from the eye line of a child it was shot at three to four feet high
0: i know but that that really fits the, yeah that's the, great the tone and what they were going for
2: that's that's the thing about this film it was filmed sequentially because you can't get child actors to understand the concept of oh we don't have the location we got to shoot the end at the beginning so the whole film was shot sequentially scene by scene and it was almost entirely shot from the perspective of a child and when you see that and you see every single scene taking place from three to four feet high it has a really big impact on on that innate feeling like you might not notice it as a film as as someone who's watching the film but that is just an absolute in my opinion unironically a stroke of genius from steven spielberg
0: i will also say that um the only like bit of trivia that i knew about this movie is that um is that there is a re-release of this movie where the guns at the end are replaced with walkie-talkies and I knew that they have re-replaced them with the guns again. And I wanted to text Mike at a certain point and be like, all right, Mike, are we getting guns or
2: walkie-talkies? Of course you're getting, of course you're getting guns. I would not give you walkie-talkies. And Steven Spielberg wouldn't either. Uh, side, side note on all of this. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm trying to keep it short. Steven Spielberg, along with George Lucas, they're best friends in real life. We're talking about going back and redoing their films and famously or infamously george lucas went back and changed the original trilogy and he made some changes to the prequel trilogy and he felt like film was this kind of living breathing thing that he could change because he had authorship over it so at the same time all this was happening steven spielberg had kids in between making et and re-releasing it for the 20th anniversary and he decided to take out the guns because he felt like it was too threatening for children everyone hated it and he also did this thing where he CG'd over E.T.'s face in order to give him more of a visual um, flexibility, as opposed to the animatronics that they used on the film. Everyone hated that, too, because it's 2002 CGI and it doesn't look good. So after five or six years, Steven Spielberg said, I was wrong. The 20th anniversary, it's gone. Deleted. You can't find it anymore. Only the original. And that, that, takes, some, that takes some honesty of saying, I messed up. I was wrong. Here's the original back. I'm sorry I did that. He also turned down making a sequel for that very same reason that he felt like it would rob the film of its innocence. Right on. It would have.
3: You know, the one thing I don't like about this movie. Yep. And I think Tristan's going to agree with me. The scene with the spacemen from the government invading their house.
1: Yeah, I don't really know why that. What? Well, that's not practical. I mean, why do it? Like, well, I mean, you're not on the moon. Like, you don't have to like <laughs> br- breathe in your
0: suit. I mean, totally get where you're coming from, but also I think that an extraterrestrial landing in the Suburbs of Southern California uh, in 1982 and uh, flying over houses with a small eight year old boy. I feel like that's also impractical.
1: <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, there's two reasons they did this. One is because it's scary with the masks and you can't see their faces in these spacesuits.
3: Of course, it's
0: scary. That's the, that's the sole reason.
1: I know too. Um, you know, it's the whole thing like, Ooh, these are the spacemen and the spacemen are going to visit the alien instead of vice versa. The alien visit the spacemen on, on the moon, you know, or whatever. So it's just like, uh, I don't know. Michael probably has a word for that. Go on.
2: The thing to me, and I, I can explain all this and you can still hate it. And that's super fine. But I I just want to say the entire point is invasion because at the time of this film coming out and and what we understand to be alien is invasion. We see Mars attacks, we see um, George uh, Orwell. uh, I believe it's George Orwell. We have all these films like War of the Worlds. We have all these films where they're invaders, they're the bad guys. And this film completely subverts that because E.T. is not the invader. He is not trying to be an invader. He is, a, he is an alien species that is mostly a botanist, if you watch the beginning pretty closely. They just collect plants, man. They're not, they're not evil. They don't have guns. They got alien plants. They want to check out some plants. They are about as honest and humanitarian as they come. There's no reason for them to be the invaders. The invaders is, are the U.S. government coming in and busting into a home and shutting it down and trying to cut apart an alien in order to study it they're the invaders so that kind of ties into the magical realism it's not trying to be realistic it's it's painting a very blunt picture where the scariest part of the movie from them realistically the scariest part of the movie is the cornfield scene but the scariest part of the movie for um steven spielberg is that scene when they're just being invaded by by foreign bodies which is the u.s government Yep. Yeah, <laughs>
3: <laughs> that does make sense conceptually yeah
2: thematically practice
3: yeah <laughs> <laughs> thematically it makes sense it does make for a scene that i think mm, feels like it maybe doesn't fit as much that's kind of the one thing making this movie lose points for me i really liked it um and you're right i you know all those words that you guys have used like earnest and sincere and heartfelt those are good words to describe this movie in a good way. I, Yeah, I'm a fan. I like it.
2: I mean, how many, how many movies end like this where everyone just shuts up and you have a beautiful John Williams score and you just have zoom ins on faces where you just feel their emotions? Like, we don't have to talk. We got the beautiful timpani drums. We have an incredible score. No one needs to say words. We're good. Sorry, I, I love this film. This is this is eerily similar if you guys go back and listen to some jerks about um, my review of Swiss Army Man. This is just this is just me loving a film. I'm very glad <laughs> that you guys uh, like it and understand why I feel like this is one of the one of the most significant films that I think has become popular. We have films like Titanic, and which is a great movie. I love Titanic. You have Avatar, you have Endgame, you have all these films that are really big. I'm just glad that this is one of the best performing films financially something that was this intellectually honest uh tristan you had something
1: yeah uh et's health in this film i want to talk about that um his healthcare provider is not around so he's <laughs> really doing really bad he's a pcp um he doesn't have any insurance i mean like he lands and mike says he starts dying because he's not acclimated to the planet So in my head, when I see this dude, he's walking up, he's squishy, he's moaning. He says, he says, hey, I'm not doing so hot. Then that boy gets a meal in his face. He glows. That man glows after he eats. He just needed some food. That's all. Give that man some fruit. That's it. And then suddenly he he starts, skin starts drying up. (laughs) he says, actually, I'm just kidding. I'm actually dying. The food you gave me, just temporary. Just temporary. I, I didn't even need it. Didn't even matter. I was going to die anyway. You so, shouldn't have even fed me. You wasted your
2: food on me, he says. He ate Reese's Pieces and beer. How long can you subsist on those two things? They fed him fruit. There was a whole scene where he was, like,
1: making a big mess out of the food.
0: So, you know- so, Tristan, so Tristan, what you're saying is that really... Even though Elliot found him, because Elliot didn't feed him sequentially, Elliot kind of led to E.T.
1: dying. You could say that. I mean, beings have to eat, and beings should not eat beer and chicken salad or whatever he was eating the It time. was potato
2: salad. Whatever. He's, he's an alien. <laughs> Sticking his tongue in a potato salad, you know? Maybe there's an element we haven't even heard of that he survives on. We just don't know, and maybe all the food helped a little bit. But he lives on Lubadubadum, and we don't have. To. <laughs> Apparently, don't have if you movie. read,
1: if you read the novelization, like a big brain man, you, you learn about more. You learn more. You, you, you learn, learn all
2: about ET and his metaphors. All the things that should be in the movie. All the things you should know. You got to read the book. That's not that. true. To be fair, I, I, ju- they're saying that because I mentioned earlier off, off podcast book reader novelization. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> book reader. But the book does not say he needs a he needs a luba It doesn't say that. It just says it just says the planet, you said it, brother. It just says that the planet is slowly killing him. And I think the movie says that very explicitly. In every other scene, he's coughing and wheezing and can't really breathe that well. And he's drinking beer and getting drunk. And he's he's not doing hot.
1: Look, he's drinking <laughs> drinking beer i mean that's just a gag like i don't know he doesn't know what the beer is he's gonna drink it it's just funny ooh sticks tongue and potato salad do funny e.t funny E.T. don't know what, what that is just give the man some actual fresh food and his, he'll glow
2: his biology is extraterrestrial the idea of getting him giving him trail mix does not make sense <laughs> but why did he enjoy
1: it so much though and why did he glow after that i mean that man
2: worked hard he healed people He's got six nucleotides. The scientist said it. (laughs) Side note and fun fact for the audience. When they're like trying to revive ET, they didn't hire actors. Steven Spielberg went to the local hospital, hired all of them and said, pretend this is a dying man and say all your fancy words. So if you listen closely for for all of you people out there that are pre-med or in medicine, fun fact. And yeah, of course, an alien. <laughs> and of
3: course. of course, they explicitly mention how his Midacloran count is low, which is the rest of yeah. the explanation you
1: hey, need. Hey, how many Star is, Wars references do we need in this movie? I, I mean, it, geez, they're not Star Wars references,
0: buddy. Canonically speaking, ET exists in the Star Wars universe. Look,
1: we got Yoda theme, we got the, the Yoda uh, cost. What, what was it? Costume, Costume. I guess. And
0: if you watch episode one, The Phantom Menace, you can see E.T. beings uh, in
2: the Galactic Senate. That's very true. Canonically, E.T. is in Star Wars and Star Wars is canon in the real world. Look it up, Tristan. That's why E.T. sees the Yoda costume and he says home because he's like, I recognize that guy from my interstellar travels. But this came out 20 years after. It came out five years after Star Wars came out. Yoda was around, but not <laughs> uh, Episode One. Amazing. Yeah, well, that was yeah. That George was,
0: Lucas and Steven Spielberg were still friends
2: after twenty years. Yeah, it was it was a reference. It was nineteen eighty Empire came out eighty two. This came out. It was like a cute reference. And then in in nineteen ninety seven or nine, whenever nine. That one came out, nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, Lucas was like, I will canonize ETS. They are canon in Star Wars. Uh, Look, he he, Elliot called an Athorian
1: a hammerhead, which is originally in the Kenner dolls. What it was called? It was called a hammerhead. So you're telling me they're a bunch of nerds making this movie. Look, you didn't know that.
2: You're really coming at the. I did. I just. This film is magical, magical bikes and alien and healing fingers, and you're coming in here with your lore.
1: <laughs> Look, there are children's movies we went hard on, okay? And Doug knows we, we don't we don't uh, we don't grant asylum to any kids' movies around here. You're
0: right. We don't grant asylum to kids' movies. However, you are grasping at straws of straws, my friend.
1: <laughs> Someone has to.
2: Someone has to.
0: Well, with that. Anybody got anything else to say about this film?
2: I I will just add that I think if you're if you for some reason if you're listening to this and you haven't seen ET recently, give it a shot. I'm just saying like think, things are this isn't political, this is reality. Things not super hot right now in the real world. Not super sweet, not 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 kosher. Sometimes you need a film that's just earnest and nice and sincere and wonderful and lit by wonderful. I mean, full of wonder check it out. That's all I got.
3: You know, another movie this brought to mind for me, fellas, that that? Pokemon movie where Ash gets turned to stone. Yeah. That's what E.T.'s death and sort of resurrection. I don't know what happened in that scene, but that's what it reminded me of (laughs) Elliot's tear and his, Uh, saying he loves saying I love you to to the little alien that was that was Pikachu's tear bringing Ash back
2: you know sincerity man so E.T. just said
1: I'm up when his people came like that's it
2: He, he draws power from other people which is why he was drawing power from Elliot so the only reason he was alive towards the end of the film is because he was sucking the life force out of Elliot himself so that's why, as an act of love, E.T. disconnected himself from Elliot in order for him to die so his friend could live. And so when his, when his family, when the aliens were coming closer, he was able to draw from their life force in order to survive. Oh. Mm. My, Michael's thought about this film for 20 years. He's, <laughs> so, well, you know, I wish that was in the movie. Maybe I would know. in the movie. I didn't read a blog post. I came up with that myself. It's in the movie. I, I didn't e. know that.
3: E.T. is also a vampire is what we're learning. <laughs> he sucks the Apparently. life force out of other people in order it to stay is, alive.
2: They, they say
1: it in the- I'm just it, going off what they show me in the film and they okay. show the man okay, eating okay, some
2: okay. food. Okay. To be fair, to be fair, it's, it's Blink and you miss it and you just watch this and nobody is obsessive about this as much as I am. They do say in the film- that their life forces are connected and at one point the doctor says the only reason Elliot's alive is because of E.T. That's like in the dialogue. It's subtle. It's, it's supposed to be in there to give that explanation but it's not supposed to be transparent. You don't need a book. You just have to be me and watch the film too many times and listen to the background.
3: Um, I all. did pick up on that. I, I definitely watched this thinking that E.T. was kind of uh, feeding off of Elliot. Yeah.
0: I also picked up on it. And with that, I think it's time that we score this sucker. Who would like to go first?
1: I'll go first. I thought this was a pretty darn good movie. Um, I wrote a review for it on Letterboxd about an hour ago. It's true, Um, you did. I just saw it pop up on my Letterboxd. I wrote weird vibes at first, but it made me cry, so shrug emoji. (laughs) um i gave it four stars on letterboxd um i'm gonna give this an 88 and that's that folks
3: i'm giving it a 90 pretty much in the same ballpark but i gotta give it an a i i do think this is a great movie um honestly the first time i watched it i kind of half paid attention i just wanted to know what was in it and then let that be that but this time i really watched it Um, probably largely because I saw Mike's passion for this movie. And I was like, all right, I need to pay close attention. And I get it. I I got it. It's a good movie.
0: Mike, the last movie you and I, uh, the last movie you endorsed this heavily was It's Such a Beautiful Day. And I don't feel that I gave you or that movie the respect it deserves. Um, So I tried to this time. And I will just say that they're not main movies that I feel fall into this category, but similarly to uh, similarly to the Princess Bride, where I'll be honest with you, I don't know that this is going to be one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, but it's something that I feel is necessary, and I feel like I will show my kids at some point. Um, and I feel like the quality of the film is simply undeniable. I'm going to give this movie a 100. I believe it is perfect. Um, I cannot find a flaw with this
2: movie. Wow. Dang. That's a, that's a bold statement. I, Holy I, crap. I appreciate your, your kindness. I, I have to say, I don't know if it'll be a much of a surprise, but this is one of my favorite films ever. I don't think there is a film that I've had such a history with as, as this, I gave just a little bit of context to it, but like I, I could sit here and acapella the last 15 minutes in music by heart. I, I think this film is incredibly important. I think Steven Spielberg's um, predisposition to making honest human stories, especially in popular media, Not just, I love A24 films, but A24 films aren't culture, so to speak. E.T. and Jaws and Indiana Jones were culture, in a way. And I think when it comes to Steven Spielberg bringing this story, this, this, at the time, incredibly modern, beautiful story, to the cinema. And just, goodness, the score. It's 100. Of course it's 100. It's a beautiful film.
0: Well, folks, after plugging that into our patented scoreometer, bam, bah, 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 that is going to give ET the extraterrestrial a score of a ninety-four point five. Whoa! Now, I know this may be hard to believe, but I think that this little ET extraterrestrial movie,
2: I think it might go on to do some great things. <laughs> I think I think it might be financially successful in some way. Guys, I think
1: that might be the highest it's average not, score. It's not it's, <laughs> not, it's not. it's
0: not? It's not. What is it? I don't know what it is, but I know that we have one movie that has an average score of a 96. Oh. That,
2: was, um, that was my original. I wrote down what I wanted to give this, and I wrote down a 96, but then I thought about it, and I'm like, my top three, man, I got to give them hundreds. They're beautiful.
0: See in my top three, there is one movie that I give a hundred and it's not even my number one. Um, (laughs) But no, I, I mean, I think that this is a flawless movie. Um, Yeah. Well, that's two weeks of our mystery March Mike's montage. Um,
2: (laughs) Whatever the heck we're calling this thing yeah um and uh yeah i think we're two for two on just really fun weeks i am excited for the rest of this i i plan this out very specifically so we'll see i just want
0: to say i just want to say that i know what i pitched mike
2: um and that's gonna be a fun week i think i think they're all fun weeks from here on it's gonna be a good time
0: yeah, well, uh, be sure to uh, keep up with all things Vider has going going on on Facebook and Instagram at Vider Media and Twitter. Do we have a Twitter? I feel like we have a Twitter. We have a Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought we had a Twitter. Um, and be sure to uh, to rate and review uh, our podcast wherever you get your podcast or whatever is your preferred podcatcher of choice. Um, yeah, uh, new episodes of Saying the Skein every single week. And for five weeks, you've got Mike's Mystery Montage March Madness. Um, I
2: think I think in social media, it's just going to be Mystery Month, but the full title is still a work in progress.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, keep keep on coming back for new episodes of the Mystery Month and for all us here at at saying the skein i almost said some jerks who talk about movies (laughs) um who cares if we haven't done that show in two years um for all of us here at saying the skein i'm doug
3: i'm tristan i'm elijah
0: and i'm michael and this has been saying the skein y'all have a great week